couple things I want to share with you. Probably most of you have been following along with a couple of these things. You know, as I, I shared uh, a month and a half ago, two months ago, you know, our, our ability ultimately to preach Christ crucified alone for the remission of sin hangs on the body of Christ standing for the Lord. And, and we are in a time in our history where it is important for us to be distinct. And as we've been sharing on Sunday mornings that we're children of the light, we're commanded now to walk in the light, uh, we're being challenged. The church is being challenged right now to walk in the light. And, and we, have, we have an obligation, family, to make sure that the world knows that there's a difference between believers and unbelievers. Uh, and if we won't stand in these days, then I, I really fear, you know, we, we talk about how great our country is. Our, I fear for our country if the church doesn't stand strong in these evil days. That's why I fear. Not because of a government, not because of China, not, not because of some rogue army, not because of somebody with their finger on a nuke, but Jesus is coming soon. And the message of the gospel needs to be preached. And if we can't preach the message of the gospel because the church remains silent, then our, our voices will be meaningless. And so I want to really encourage you, as we see these things unfold in the news, don't get discouraged. Get enlivened. Uh, get busy about your father's business. Stand strong. Preach Christ crucified. Let people know that there is hope in Christ Jesus. Don't get embroiled in arguments. Don't get involved in shout-downs. Don't worry about who wins or who loses any particular exchange. Just tell them about the real Jesus. In, in light of that, there are so many things going on in the world. We, you know, this poor woman who's now in jail in Kentucky for, for simply doing, by the way, what our governor did in this state when Prop 8 passed. Do you remember what he did? He refused to follow the people's mandate voted on by the people in this state to uphold the law which you all voted into law in 2008 that marriage was between a man and a woman. Do you remember that? Our governor refused, refused to enact that law. He refused. Today we have a woman in jail for doing the same thing. I think that's called hypocrisy. And the reason it's hypocrisy is because the church has been silent. The church isn't speaking up. The church isn't saying enough. And so I want to encourage you, when you hear people giving a false narrative, you need to remind them of the other side of the equation. Jesus Christ is Lord, whether men believe it or not. And that is the message of the cross. And we as God's people need to stand in these days right now. Because your spiritual lives, the life of this church, the life of all churches who preach Christ, is at a crossroads. Because we're either going to stand or we're going to fall. That's the message of the book of Revelation. There's going to come a point in time when the Holy Spirit's going to be removed. You all who are here tonight and you love Jesus, one day you're going home. Amen? 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 We're going to be snatched away. We're going to be taken out. And the message that we will have preached before that happens is what's going to remain. What is that message? What is that message? Is it strong? Is it true? Is it light? 
Or is it some watered-down version of Christianese? And I say to you tonight that we need to preach Jesus Christ alone for the remission of sin. That's our task. That's our goal. As we dig now into this sixth chapter here of the book of Revelation, if you want to turn there, Revelation chapter 6, just two verses tonight. We begin this series of the four horsemen of the apocalypse tonight, just the one horse, the white horse, a commonly misconstrued horse, one that has two messages that are being taught in churches across the world today, one of them that is, I believe, correct, one of them that I believe is wrong. There's a day coming when there's going to be a false Christ, and that false Christ is going to rise to power because the church is going to be gone. The real Jesus will not be getting represented. There will be a false church, a false narrative. There, there will be a renewed old Babylon that rises back up. And there's going to become a global leader who will come on the scene in the very last days. That global leader will rise up. And as he rises up, he's going to be given power by the apostate church. The church that no longer preaches the real Jesus is going to be part of the problem. He's going to come to power as a world ruler, first as a peaceful world ruler, a, a man who has global solutions to global problems. And it's time that the real church realized the problem is not a global solution. The problem is a heaven solution. The problem that we have right now is not going to be solved simply by some globalist worldview. It's going to be solved by Jesus Christ as Lord. But there's another picture. There's another view. And that one comes into view tonight as we get to Revelation chapter 6. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful that we are free in this country still to this day to study your word, to preach the truth, to rest and trust that Jesus, you alone are Lord. That you came for all of sinful mankind, you died on Calvary's cross, and you rose again on that third day, providing the means whereby all men may be saved. And so we honor you tonight. This is your house. Take your word now and cause us to be made alive through the hearing of it, through the study of your word. Lord, enlighten your people's hearts and minds. We pray these things in Christ's name. All God's people said, Amen. Verse 1 here in Revelation chapter 6, first of the four horsemen. And now I saw when the Lamb had opened one of the seals, remembered the cry was, Worthy, worthy, who, will, who is worthy, O Lord, to loosen the scroll? Who, who has the power, who has the righteousness to open up? this series of judgments, which now is going to transpire from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 18. We get into the heart of what so many say, well, you know, we, we've been talking about that stuff for 2,000 years. It's never going to happen. Or we've been talking about those things, and it's been happening for the last 2,000 years. Or you have the worldview that says, that's really not exactly what's going to happen, but, you know, there's kind of types of those things that will happen. If you're here tonight and you believe that God's word is absolute and factual, 
then your Bible says that unlike any time in human history, there's going to be a day and a time when this world is going to come apart at the seams. And it's going to begin with the rule of a single person, that first scroll being unwrapped, and now the first little portion of the scroll is visible. And it says... And I heard one of the four living creatures, remember they are the praise team, they're in heaven. They're instructing those that are around the throne, the 24 elders and the multitude of saints that are gathered before the throne of God. They're the ones that have shouted, worthy, 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 worthy is the lamb who is slain. And now one of them goes and saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And behold, as John peers at this scroll, behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. Not that he was worthy of a crown, a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. The white horse. Whatever amount of time that exists between the rapture of the church and the tribulation is now past. Many people argue and haggle over this. I see no scriptural evidence that the rapture of the church and the tribulation start on the same nanosecond. There could be a period of time, whether that's two seconds, two hours, two days, Two years, Scripture does not tell us. But when these things begin to unfold, they will happen very, very, very quickly. We know that. And so the seal has been peeled back, and the amount of time, whatever it is, has now happened, and the tribulation is about to ensue. We as human beings do not grasp exactly what God is thinking in that sense. We often have a tendency to anthropomorphize the the thoughts of God. We think about them from a human perspective. We understand that he has hands and that he has a mind and he thinks and he sees and all of those things. But we do not think like God thinks. We do not understand like God understands. It is very hard for us to put together in our humanness why at the end of the age of grace God would finally say enough's enough. But he is one day going to say, at the end of the age of grace, enough is enough. It's over. That time has passed. That time when everyone who desires to be saved can be saved by simply acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the gospel message. That invitation still stands. He is tonight standing At the door, he is knocking, and if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he will come in and sup, and you with him. Thus far, that age has lasted for 2,000 years, amen? That invitation still stands. But the book of Revelation clearly tells us that one day, that invitation is going to cease being available. It will not last forever. 
And no matter what mankind does to say, well, you know, that's just your opinion, Jeff. Scripture plainly declares that there is a time called the last days. And when you get to the end of the last days, there will also be a last person who comes to Christ via the instrument of God's grace. And once that's happened, harpazo, the church is snatched away. And he who restrains the Holy Spirit, which tonight dwells in every believer. If you're here tonight and you're in Christ Jesus, he is your Lord. You have within you the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit goes out into the world through the words you speak, the actions you undertake, the giving, the service, all that you do. But there's going to come a day in time when we're gone and the Holy Spirit will be removed from the picture. And it is at that time that this white horse will be unleashed. In order for us to understand this, we need to go to the one of the most important prophecies in all of Scripture. If you want to turn there, we'll be here for a while. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. A passage familiar to many of you. Because the age of grace is defined in this passage. We have first these 62 weeks, followed then by seven weeks, followed by this one missing week, Daniel's 70th week. No prophecy is more important than this one. And in fact, without it, it is often difficult for us to interpret what scripture says about this rising world leader. Notice what it says. Verse 24, here in Daniel chapter 9. Seventy weeks are determined upon your people. Remember God's people, in this perspective, at that day and time, was the nation Israel. It was not Christian believers. They didn't even exist. God's people were Israel. And unless you're here tonight and you were born of Jewish parents and you are of the Jewish people, you are not fully, in that sense, Israel. You're related. You were adopted into God's family. But there is a literal family of God that is God's people. And we make a distinction. The church has neither replaced Israel nor are we combined with Israel in a total sense. The Jewish people have a plan for them that God plainly declares as being separate from the church. And as you see this unfold, it says this, for 70 weeks are determined upon your people. And so when I say to you that the total purpose, the sum, the total of the purpose for the tribulation is to bring Israel to its Messiah, that is the case. Because the 70 weeks are determined upon his people, your holy city, a very specific place. That is Jerusalem, the city of peace. To finish the transgression, notice the things that are said here. To put an end to sin. How can one put an end to sin except to be found in Christ? Amen? This was spoken six centuries before Jesus put his feet onto this earth 
to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness. How do you have everlasting righteousness? Also to be found in Christ. Amen? Who's this for? Upon your people, your holy city, Israel, Jerusalem. To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. The most holy, the most holy place was found in the temple in Jerusalem. You cannot anoint the most holy place if the holy place does not exist. Since AD 70, the Roman emperor, soon to be, the Roman general at the time, Flavius Titus, his armies besieged Jerusalem, they destroyed the city, they destroyed the temple mount, and they pushed the temple into the Hinnom Valley, where the stones reside to this day. You could no more anoint the holy place today than say that the temple is there to worship in. And he says, now no one understand this, that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, who is the anointed one? What does it mean? Anointed one is the word Messiah. Until the anointed one. The ruler comes, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So it clearly says from the decree that goes out to rebuild Jerusalem, which we happen to know came in the reign of King Artaxerxes, March 14th, 446 B.C., there would be 69 total weeks. And the term weeks that's used here is very unique. We'll get to that in a moment. And there will be one that comes, that's now going to be described. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And after the 62 weeks, the anointed one will be cut off, having nothing. The people of the ruler who will come. At this time, the Roman people were not a people. The Romans would come much later. The Greeks, the Macedonians, the Persians, the Medes, even to some degree the Babylonians still existed during Daniel's time. They were the powers of the world. There would be a ruling power that would come. That ruling power would be Rome. And they will destroy the city, which absolutely happened in AD 70. And the sanctuary absolutely happened in AD 70. And the end will come like a flood. The flood of the Roman soldiers that came into the city of Jerusalem was so overwhelming that had they not decided to be merciful, no Jew would have survived. The flood would come. And war will continue to the end. And I want you to underline that carefully. And war, rumors of wars, exactly what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, will continue until the end. And the end is very specific there in the Hebrew language. It means the end of the end. It doesn't mean the end of a specific period of time. It means the end of the time. The age of grace. And desolations have been decreed. And then it goes on to describe this ruler who will come, be part of this people who would be the ruler who will come. He would be of this group somehow related to that old Roman rule. For he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. And in the middle of the week... He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. 
So it's speaking of the end of time, and now it says a ruler will rise. That ruler will come out of the old Roman Empire, and out of that old Roman Empire, he will somehow come onto the world scene, and he will begin to make this covenant for one week. And we'll get to the word week here in just a second. Hang on to your hats. If you don't have a hat, grab your chair, grab a Bible, get something, hang on to it. For in the middle of the week, you'll put an end to the sacrifice. If you went to Jerusalem today, there's no place to offer a sacrifice. There's no temple. There's no temple compound. There is no place for the Jewish people to carry out the sacrifices prescribed by the Mosaic Law. It can't happen. Hasn't been available to them for almost 2,000 years. There's no bronze laver. There's no altar of incense. There's no table of showbread. There's no giant menorah. There is no curtain dividing the holy place. There is no Ark of the Covenant. There is no place to offer the sacrifice. So it means whenever this happens, there has to be a temple in Jerusalem. I believe that temple is coming. And it may be a lot sooner than you think. And the offerings. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Until the end that is decreed is poured out upon him. Who is this guy? Many of you know him. He is the Antichrist. I want to clarify for you the word week that's used here. Much like we use the word week or we use the word decade or we use the word month it means something else it's a conglomeration if you will in this particular case the original rendering in the hebrew language meant a week of years so it means seven years it doesn't mean a week as we know a week it means exactly what was being spoken through the prophet daniel and so we have this picture there have been 70 weeks that have been prescribed that's 490 years. The first period divided into two parts of seven weeks, which would be 49 weeks, 62 weeks, 434, for a total of 483 years. Interesting number. Notice verse 24, for 70 weeks, that's the total number de- determined upon your people. That would be Israel. And then six things are listed. They're in the holy city. To finish the transgression, put an end to sin, atone for wickedness. These are all things that can only happen when Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? There is no other way for these things to happen. Even though there was a picture during the Old Testament times and the sacrifices of these things happening for the Jewish people as they completed the sacrifices prescribed by the law, they actually didn't accomplish the end game, which was to totally erase mankind's sin. On the Day of Atonement, they got close. The priest went in, he offered prayers first for himself and then for others, for his own family. And at least on that day, as he put his hands on the scapegoat and he sent the scapegoat away, there was a a momentary peace with God until the first person sinned thereafter, which would have been nanoseconds after he'd finished praying. To bring everlasting righteousness. That only happens when Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? There's no other way. To seal up the vision, the prophecy, and to anoint the holy place. And so these 
things that are going on here refers to a very specific group of people, Israel, and it refers to a very specific work, the work of Messiah, and it refers to a very specific place, the Holy Temple. So if it pertains to the Jewish people, and it has not yet happened, because it happened, has not, and it refers to a specific place, Jerusalem, and the temple, and it's not there, guess what has to happen? Somebody needs to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem before this he comes on the scene and desecrates that temple. So where is this missing week? In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1, the actual decree goes forth to rebuild Jerusalem. King Artaxerxes of Persia, March 14th, 445, 444, if you're using the Babylonian calendar, bottom line is you come up with the same day, exactly 483 years later, guess who rides into Jerusalem? None other than Jesus. And he does not do it on a white horse. He doesn't come as a conqueror. He comes exactly as Zechariah 9.9 declares, a king on the foal of the donkey. He comes with humility. He comes as Messiah. He provides the way for these things to happen, to deal with sin, to give personal, permanent righteousness. He, he did away with the temple. The temple wasn't even necessary in, in Jesus. And anyone who received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. It was no longer necessary for all of the sacrifices to be offered. He offered the sacrifice, the Apostle Paul said, once and for all, for all. And so this missing week, as Jesus is proclaimed king, do you remember what was said about Jesus? When he entered in Jerusalem, did they not shout, Hosanna? God, save us now. It was the only time in Jesus' life that he permitted the people to worship him as king. 483 years after King Artaxerxes delivers a decree to go and rebuild Jerusalem, and it was in times of trouble. You see, when Nehemiah, if you remember his story, when he saw the gates of the city and they were burned... And he saw the walls that they were broken down. The city of Jerusalem was a wreck when that decree was issued. Archaeologists have marvelously, if you go travel with us to Jerusalem, and you look at the layers of ash and the burned city walls, you can actually see the rubble that Nehemiah used to rebuild the walls. It's still there. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 25, Jesus is actually called Messiah the Prince, denoting the, the fact that he would come as the anointed son of the king. But he was not yet crowned king. Jesus has not yet, in that sense, received his kingdom. That's happening when he comes back the next time. He's still the Prince of Peace. He's still the great I Am. But he's in heaven right now with the horses warming up. One day he's coming back. And so it says here in this passage of Daniel that there would be a, a, a ruler of the people who would come, the Roman people, and they would destroy the temple. 
The surviving Jews were forced to flee under threat of death, and they lived that way until 1948. And then the Israelites went back into the land. They began to speak Hebrew again. So from when they left the first time, at least until 1948, there was no way for this prophecy to be fulfilled because they were not back in the land. The Valley of Dry Bones of Ezekiel 37 had not been proclaimed, had not been fulfilled. And so at that time, as the Jewish people left, as they went in what we call the diaspora, scattered to the four corners of the earth, as the horrendous things that we saw happen during the Second World War as the Holocaust unfolded, as the Jewish people were slaughtered, more than six million of them, and after that war, they're granted under first the Balfour Accords to, to come back into the land and to settle under a, a Zionist principle. They're back in the land. So there's one seven-year period left. The 69 have happened. The prince came. The ability for all men to be saved was made. And God took a holy comma and he said, here it is. I'm going to put a comma right here in time. And I'm going to describe for you from chapter 6 to chapter 18 what's going to happen in that missing week. That final period of mankind's rebellion against God on this earth. Can I say to you that the world is set for this time right now? The world's been poking its finger in God's chest now for... 2,000 years. It began with the cry of, we do not want this man to rule over us. And it continues to this day, oh, those Christians, they just believe in that Jesus guy. It's nothing but a crutch. They're ignorant. They're stupid. They're unintelligent. Can I say to you that as a group of people, you know who the most educated people are in the United States of America? By learning, by number of hours spent in front of a book? Pastors. We spend more time in front of books of higher learning than any other group of people, including doctors and lawyers. Why? Because we're scared to death to mess up his word. It goes on to describe this final time, and it will contain in it with this time what we know is the abomination of desolation. And so, to many of us, as we see this Old Testament covenant worship system broken down, there has to be a temple for these things to be fulfilled. There is no temple in Jerusalem. Interesting little study, if you want to go there at some point in time, go to the website templemountfaithful.org and read what they're doing. They've already laid the cornerstone carved out some 17-ton stone. They have it ready. They've already worked on the implements. They have the bronze. They've got all of that stuff. You can go visit their headquarters and actually see it when you're in Jerusalem. They're ready. Were it not for the fact that the Israeli government is keeping them from actually going to the Temple Mount because it would obviously start a war, 
The Temple Mount right now is controlled by the nation of Jordan. It's actually the imam of Jerusalem that actually has sway over it. And whatever he says, that's what goes because it's kept peace. One day the Prince of Peace is going to say enough. And he's going to pull the Holy Spirit's influence out of the world. And so during the Flavian dynasty, Titus succeeded his father, Vespasian, and on his death became the first Roman emperor to actually go out in battle, and he destroyed the temple. So there's a temple coming. Keep your eyes on Jerusalem. Keep your eyes on Israel. Some people say this prophecy of this coming destroyer, this Antichrist, was fulfilled in Antiochus Epiphanes, the Syrian ruler who attacked Jerusalem, entered the temple area, and as a preview of what this guy we're going to find will do, what, what he plans to do, because he's going to set himself up as God. He's going to demand to be worshipped. Antiochus, in fact, did that. In fact, he slaughtered a pig inside the temple. And because a pig was an unclean animal, the temple was defiled. Furthermore, he erected a statue to the Greek god Zeus, and he put his own face on it. And he demanded under the pain of death that all people worship his image. And so the temple was defiled. Finally, the Maccabeans rose up against him. And as they rose up against him, recorded in the book of 1 Maccabees, they finally defeated him, destroyed his image, and then they went and cleansed the temple. So many Christians believe that Hanukkah is the Jewish equivalent to Christmas. It's not. It commemorizes the cleansing of the temple from the desolation of Antiochus Epiphanes. And so it was the first time that the giant menorah was lit. And so the menorah, the light, shone in the temple again for the first time in some 20 years. And so the Feast of Hanukkah is celebrated to this day because of it. Paul warned us that a world leader would rise up on the stage at this point in time in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He'll be worshipped in the temple. He'll proclaim himself as God. When we get to chapter 13 here in the book of Revelation, we're going to find out that he absolutely uh, is going to erect a statue of himself. This world ruler will come on the scene. Jesus himself referred back to this time. He actually spoke of Daniel the prophet and he said, these things, wars, rumors of wars, all of those things, they're going to captivate the world's attention. And then this world ruler will come on the scene. He's going to claim to be God. And because of what he does, he's going to look like the Messiah. He's going to actually bring together all of these warring factions. The world's nuts right now. It's crazy. We have a small flotilla of Chinese warships in the Bering Sea right now. You have a crazy man, Kim Jong-un, who's in North Korea with his finger on nuclear weapons. We have allowed him to develop missiles that will now reach the western coast of the United States. We've now made an agreement with Iran for, quote, peaceful nuclear purposes, while at the same time giving them the ballistic missile technology to destroy the nation of Israel. The world is crazy. And it's crazy on a global scale. And it's going to take a global ruler that's going to come and say, you know, you all just have to get along. 
You see, I have the solution. I'm going to make a peace treaty with Israel. And I'm even going to let them rebuild the temple. I'm going to let them have worship. You know, we should just have one big ecumenical party. And we can be crystal islama buddhists With a little Roman Catholicism thrown in for good measure. We'll just combine all the world's religions. Do you know how hungry the world is for that very solution tonight? You know the one thing that's stopping it? You. You. You're stopping it. Because of the Holy Spirit in you, there is still an influence for the real gospel that says, you know, there is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. And it is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the real gospel message. And so we're preaching that message. So we're, we're the problem as far as the world's concerned. What are you hearing in the news? Christians, narrow-minded, bigoted Christians are the problem. We just get rid of all the narrow-minded, bigoted Christians, then the world will be a better place. What do you think the solution of the Antichrist is going to be? I'm going to get rid of all the narrow-minded, bigoted Christians, and they all, they just disappeared. Well, if you can make however many of us there are, maybe there's a billion and a half, two billion, maybe on a really conservative, maybe there's three billion Christians. And we all disappear. And some dude comes on the scene. I did that. It was me. The whole world's going to be going nuts. The prince of the people who is to come. So as we go through these chapters, these amazing scenes, the new Jerusalem, the Babylon that is raised up of old. And so it begins with this kingdom of peace, this this white horse. And notice how this now unfolds before us. You see, he's going to eventually show his true colors, but he won't do that. And so first we have this This seal that's unleashed. And now I saw the Lamb when He had opened the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying in a loud voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. Notice it's not a bow and arrows. It's just a bow. I don't know if you've done much archery, but a bow without arrows is not exactly a frightening thing. It's kind of like having a gun with no bullets. It's like having a sling with no stones. It's not horribly impressive. But it is a sign of peace. Look, I, you know, I just have a bow. And a crown was given to him. And I want you to underline that word crown because it's a very wonderful transition between two crowns that are mentioned in Scripture. One of them always refers to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the kingly crown, the diadema. 
and this one, which is a Stephanos, which is a victor's crown. In other words, it's an earned crown. It's a crown of victory. You are going to get a Stephanos when you get to heaven. You're going to receive a crown for the things done in this body while you're here on this earth. You're going to be rewarded for the victory that you've had in Christ Jesus. Your response, we've already seen, is to take those crowns off and throw them at the feet of Christ. Amen? This guy's going to go out with his and try and conquer. He's going to take his victories and try and conquer. It's not the kingly crown. It's not the diadema. It is the Stephanos that he wears. He's going to be a false king. He's not a real king. He's going to be a temporary victor. And so everything that we see from chapter 6 to chapter 18 goes on to describe the time that he's going to be on this earth. Doing his deeds. Jacking up the people on the planet. Unleashing hell in all of its fury. These judgments, as hard as they are for us to understand, notice, turn now, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 30. Very important that you see this. Jeremiah 30 and verse 1, it says, And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. And so this word comes from the Lord. He speaks to Jeremiah. He says, I want you to write these things down. And here's what he says. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people, Israel and Judah. Now, if you held it there, you could say, ah, well, they came back multiple times. They've been in and out. But the last time that they were really out and came back in, was in May of 1948, says the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land. You see, until that time, they had not ever for 2,000 years in mass as Israel, Jewish people, and Judah, the kingly tribe of the nation Israel, they had not returned to the land. So from the time of the diaspora, they're kicked out of the land. They have gone away as captives until May of 1948. Again, no way for these things to come true in that sense. Because here's why. I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers and they shall possess it. What is that land? It is the land of the Abrahamic covenant. The land of Abraham, the land of Isaac, and the land of Jacob. It is the land described in your Bible as the land that should be the people's land, the Jewish people's land, that we are trying to force them tonight, today, to give away. It's God's land. Read the book of Joel. He gave it to the Hebrew people as a permanent possession for them. And the world has been pressuring them to give away that land since that day. Notice what he says next. Jeremiah, very specific. Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning, notice, Israel and Judah. Not the church, not 
Christians, not adopted children, but the literal Jewish people, the land, the people of Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with a child. It can't happen, amen? I was going to say, I'm not even going to go there. I'm leaving that one alone. Thank you, God, for that discernment. I bear witness. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor? We don't get it, guys. We will never get it. There is no possible way. I don't care how much identifying you do. I don't care how much you go into the delivery room and go, Honey, I'm with you. I got your back. She still hates your guts right then, right there. You did this to me. Get out of this room. We don't get it. And all their faces turn pale. We cannot experience nor understand the pain of childbirth. But it says here that there come a point in time when men will be in such grave danger for the lack of peace, for the fear that comes upon them, no peace in the region, that their faces turn pale. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. Please understand that in the Hebrew language, this phrase, that none is like it, is exclusive. It means that it's one of one, that there can't be any other time. It's referring to a specific time, and that time alone will be the time that's being referred to. So it's not a series of wars. It's not a series of events. It's not a bunch of things that kind of look like something else. It's exactly one time. For that day is great so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. The time of the Hebrews people's trouble. The time when the land that they were supposed to possess has been taken from them. They've been brought back into it. They're in the land. But there's going to be trouble in the land. But he... Speaking of those same people who fear like they're in labor, will be saved out of it. What did Daniel say? To bring an end to sin, to bring an end to the transgression, to bring everlasting righteousness. What's being spoken of here is a salvation plan for the Hebrew people. That time is unique, it's only one time, it's going to happen very specifically, but Israel will be saved out of it. That is the main purpose of the tribulation. It's to bring the Jewish people to to meet their Messiah. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1 says this, and at that time, referring to that day, that time, that specific time, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even unto that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. There's only one name under heaven whereby men may be saved, including all Hebrew people. It's the reason for the tribulation. So when our president says that we need to stop being so forceful about our support for Israel, you need to be very concerned about that. 
Because you are either for them or you are against him. That doesn't mean that everything that the Jewish people have done is absolutely correct. It doesn't mean that it's absolutely righteous. It means that there's only one side of that issue to be on. God's side is the Hebrew side. The Jewish people's side. He gave them the land. He put them in the land. The land is his land. Read again Joel chapter 2 and 3. It's his land. He gave it to them to inhabit. So that land belongs to God. It's not ours to give away. Jesus himself speaking in Matthew 24 and verse 21. For there will be a great tribulation such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No shall there ever be such a time. Jesus speaking that passage in what we call the Olivet Discourse. And that tribulation will unfold in a series of three events. Those judgments are recorded for us. And so this man begins to come on the scene. who's going to have an answer to these world problems. He's going to use that same Cold War diplomacy that we've seen before. We've seen it. We know what it looks like. Oh, sure, we'll destroy our nuclear weapons. No, we don't mean you any harm. We're not going to do that. I mean, come on, we just need these things, you know, just in case you use them, we can use them. We just have all this stuff. Same tactics the Antichrist will use. They say, well, we'll just make peace. It's okay. It's all right. You keep yours. They'll keep theirs. And, you know, I'll just take care of it. Satan bequeaths the Antichrist his crown. It's a world dictatorship. It's a global solution to global problems. Notice that this is really Satan's man. The writer represents a, a conquering force that no one can, can resist. Remember now back to Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Jesus wasn't killed because of his own sin, amen? He was without sin. In him was no sin found, period. He was perfect. He was a sinless lamb of God. He was not cut off because he did something wrong. He was cut off because of me. He went to Calvary's cross because Jeff Gill would be born a sinner in 1955. And he would need a savior. And without the savior... I would be destined for hell. And Jesus came and died on Calvary's cross for me. Forget the rest of you. He died for me. I'll make it personal. You didn't need to be here. He died for me. And the reason I say it that way is that's how you need to think about it. If you had been the only person ever born after Adam, you would have still needed a Savior. And Jesus would have come and died for just you. And so he's done that for all mankind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For he is not willing, Paul said, that none, any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the plan's always been the one plan. He wasn't cut off for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Jerusalem's a thriving city today. It's a divided city, but it doesn't have a sanctuary. It needs a temple. That temple's coming. And the end of it will come with a flood, and the end will be a war of desolations that are to be determined. 
And so this international organization comes on the scene ruled by this one world ruler. He's going to have a one world religion, a one world government, and a one world monetary system. We'll get to all those things as we travel through these next ten chapters. You're going to see his plan unfold. What better way? Can you imagine if somebody came on the scene tonight and said, you know what, I'm going to take care of the United States $18.35 trillion debt. That's what the national debt is tonight. For every man, woman, and child in the United States tonight, it's $57,334. For every taxpayer, it's $157,860. Now, I don't know about you, I don't have that in bank. And with the current savings rate that most of us have, it ain't ever happening, amen? So imagine somebody comes on the scene and says, I got it. I'm going to combine the euro and the U.S. dollar and Bitcoin. I'm going to take care of all these problems, and I'm going to solve everybody's monetary woes. That $3 billion that the U.S. owns owes to China, I'm just going to take care of it myself. I'm going to write a check. <coughs> that inequity between so many different people across the face of the earth, everybody gets an equal share. Your bread's going to get a little bit expensive, and your gold's going to be worthless, but I'll take care of your financial problems. And then he comes on the scene and he says, oh, and, and if that's not good enough for you, you know all that religious divide that we've had? You know those wars that have been fought over, you know, religious things like the Ottoman Wars? Remember the Crusades? This is a bad deal. We're going to make sure that never happens again. So to start it all off, I got rid of all the Christians. And now the rest of y'all, you need to get together and be home. One world religion. Now, just to make sure everybody gets it, you know, those passports you guys have in the United States of America, that whole eagle thing, I don't like that. We're going to put my face on them. And wherever you go, and just so nobody feels left out, we're going to put it in your forehead and on your wrist. That way you can charge, charge, charge. Wherever you go, you'll be prepared. Just scan your head over the scanner. <laughs> Throw your wrist out there. And it'll all be good. We'll just charge it. How popular do you think that world ruler would be tonight? Really, really popular. Because he'd solve the three most pressing problems in the entire world, all simultaneously. He'd be announced as a king. He'd be promoted as the world's most popular person. He'd have six billion followers on, on Twitter. He'd have there, his wall on Facebook, like nobody's wall ever. And he's going to come as that prince who is to come but he's going to be a deceiver, just like his boss. Satan came as a thief and a liar, so the Antichrist will come as a thief and a liar. He's going to pretend to be a good guy. He's going to have a bow with no arrows. He's going to say, look, it's all going to be fine. He'll be a peaceful ruler. 
He'll wear a nice victor's crown, but he will not wear the kingly crown of Jesus. He's going to be an imposter. And eventually he will set himself up in the temple to be worshipped as God. A temple that doesn't exist today, but could get built in a pretty big hurry. Wouldn't take long at all. Jesus himself said that there would be wars and rumors of wars, kingdom against kingdom. Man expects to battle disease and have all these things going on. It's crazy. You realize we wiped out malaria. We wiped out malaria in the African continent. But because of environmental activism, we now have malaria back because the very chemicals used to kill the mosquitoes, to keep people from dying from malaria, we have now banned under world treaties. So people are now back to dying from malaria. We are nuts. We need a ruler to come on. Well, I'll fix that for you. We'll take care of all that. Don't you worry about it. Got it. He'll be a satanic dictator. Family, as this guy rides into town, he's going to be hailed as the absolute epitome of the, of the very best hope of mankind. And he's going to reign. He's just going to do everything that everybody sees that needs to be done. And as this seal is opened, he's going to imitate the Messiah. He's going to say, you know, all those Christians, they believed in the Messiah, but he wasn't the real Messiah. Can I tell you that Islam actually teaches that the 12th Imam Mahdi will be Messiah? Wouldn't it be interesting if he was actually the Antichrist? We get into the latter chapters of this amazing prophetic work. Kind of interesting, one of the tools he uses is lopping off the heads of his victims. Who knows? But I do know this, the time is ripe. Many have guessed, we won't continue that tonight, but we know what he's going to do. He's going to have a one world religion, very successful. A one world government that will encompass all of us. And a one world monetary system that we'll all have to kowtow to. This first horseman is none other than the Antichrist. He's going to look like a good guy. But he's going to be the worst bad guy to ever set foot on planet earth other than Satan himself. He'll actually be Satan's minion. Ultimately he will ask to be worshipped. He'll be demand, demand to, to be worshipped. He will be that people of the prince who is to come. He'll revive that European spirit of old, of Rome. You know, there was a time, especially in the Middle Ages, when the church and world government were blended. And I'm not trying to make a direct correlation between the Roman Catholic Church and the European Union, because I think that's not wise. But it is interesting that Rome and the church were combined at one point in time, and it seems to indicate that one day, out of that old alliance, will rise up a world ruler. Could it be that he comes from the EU? Could it be somebody who says, you know, well, we tried that whole thing that America's doing, that didn't work very well, so we're just going to try it a different way. We're going to make everybody equal. Hold on to your hats. 
So if you grabbed them and you still got them, hang on to them. This is the most exciting book for those of us who love Jesus. It should actually give you hope. But if you're here tonight and you don't know him, I may have just scared literally your, your, your pants ajar. I may have ruffled your skirt. I, you know, who knows what happened. You, you hear these things like, seriously? Yes, seriously. Here's the good news. There's still time to be saved. Miss all of it. You can go to the marriage supper of the Lamb instead with the rest of us. That's what the Lord wants. Amen? Amen. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 said this, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Do you remember what Jeremiah said? Knees knocking together, experiencing that labor pain. Do you remember what Jesus said? When these things begin, they'll be as the beginnings of the labor pains. Same analogy in all three places. As the labor pains upon a pregnant woman, they shall not escape. But you, here's your hope, folks. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. For you are sons of light, sons of the day. For we are not of the night, we are not of the darkness. And that's why we praise him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we tonight who, who love you, we look forward to your glorious appearing. Lord, the glorious appearing of our great God and King. And we ask that you would just impress upon us this incredible urgency in these last days in which we live, God, that we would be busy about your business. Lord, the world desperately needs the message of the cross. And I want to pray tonight for anyone who's here and Perhaps this message has resonated with them that they, they know that they're a sinner and they need a Savior. We're here to remind them that His name is Jesus. And He will receive anyone who will believe. And so if that's you tonight, if you need prayer, so we in this service will have prayer warriors available to pray with you. Father, we thank you that we who know you have the blessed assurance and the glorious hope that one day when this earthly travail is over that we'll step into the glories of heaven. In the meantime, we ask that you'd make us busy about your business. Give us your priorities. Straighten our paths, Lord. Cause us to be light in a dark world. Help us to share the good news, the gospel, with those who will listen. Lord, help us to proclaim you to this dying world. Lord, they desperately need the message that Jesus Christ is King and Lord. We love you. We praise you. And God's people all said, Amen. Amen.